Hello, everybody. It is time for Thinking Beyond Conversations with Strategic Thinkers. Here we are again with my co host and um, always inquisitive colleague, Joan Quintana. Hello, Dr. David Flint. <laughs> How are you today, Joan? I'm really good. I'm excited to talk about Matthew Hightower and kind of get your thoughts on your conversation with him today. Yeah, it's a good conversation. And of course, our ever-faithful producer, Will Walker, is here making sure that we sound oh, pretty okay. How you doing, Will? Doing well, David. <laughs> okay, so this conversation with Matthew Hightower, who is he, Joan? So Matthew is the co-founder of a startup company called Class to Class. So they provide an online platform that they've created for K through 12 and university institutions that really enables that connection between classrooms that aren't located in the same place. It's an interesting story and you know I'll let Matthew tell a little bit about how he was introduced to the V-Real framework, but I want the listeners to know that Matthew is a former student of mine and he wasn't in one of my strategy classes or entrepreneurship classes at Texas A&M University. He went with me to Africa on a study abroad trip, and that's how I got to know him. And then he's a very entrepreneurial fellow, but you'll hear that in the podcast. That's right. So let's listen. I think we'll get a lot of insights about just how Matthew thinks, but also how he's used the V-Roll framework to refine his way of thinking about business. Okay, let's go. All right. Howdy, Matthew. Howdy, Dr. Flint. For years now, I've been trying to get you not to call me Dr. Flint, but I guess I have failed again. Yeah. Um, Old habits die hard. It's difficult. (laughs) Yeah. So first of all, thank you for agreeing to come on to the podcast today. Really appreciate that. And yes, you are joining us by phone, the magic of telecommunications. So I want the listeners to know that Perhaps you might sound a little different than our our usual guests in terms of your voice and everything, but that's just simply because you couldn't be in two places at one time today. That's absolutely the truth. Yeah, no, thank goodness for, for cell phones and cell reception stuff, but thank you again for, for having me on, Dr. Flint. This is a, a great opportunity, and I'm excited to, uh, to be on. Okay, so I want to go back a little bit in time to let the listeners know how the two of us met and then started talking about V-Reels. So I want you to to tell the story rather than me telling the story. So think back and think about how all of this introduction to V-Reel got started. Well, okay, so the first time that I ever met you, I remember I wasn't even looking for you. I was looking for a different professor in the Mays Business School. (laughs) because I was working on my first startup, which was a nonprofit, and he was a business uh, professor, business law professor. He wasn't there, and you had a little classroom next door, so I just kind of barged in, was like, you busy? I need to ask you some questions. <laughs> and you just sat there, and you listened to, to my whole little spiel. It was about building a school in South Africa, and so you're like, you know what? You should go on study abroad with us. I'm hosting one. It's going to South Africa. So I did that, and then... Through that process, you know, got got to know you, got to kind of pick your brain a little bit about business and other things, and then it was maybe a month or two after that event that you started telling me about kind of the, the book that you wanted to come out and about the V-Real process and, and what that was, and so that's kind of when I started picking your brain a little bit more about it and learning about it, and 
trying to implement some of those those principles into the way that I look at business. And so it's it's probably been, oh, I don't know, getting close to two years or so that you've had sort of V-Real at least some familiarity with it, right? Absolutely. Yep, I would say ju- just about two years. Okay. So when did and how did the real sort of dive into the V-Real way of thinking really start for you? Oh, that's a great question. I, I think it, it obviously started right after I, I figured out that the, the nonprofit that I was trying to, to build at the time was, was just not going to work for, for a number of reasons and started to focus on, on my new kind of business venture. It was then that I took a lot of time kind of figuring out how should I approach this one. You know, I already started one venture. It didn't work out. Um, what are some of the lessons learned there? And how can I improve upon, you know, the new venture that I, I'm working on? And so I think it was in that those beginning stages that you kind of told me about this process and, and I used it and, and went through it as a way to kind of not only mitigate risks, but also to try to figure out kind of what are what some of the things that I have under my belt, what are some of the things that I resource-wise and, and other things that can maybe make this next venture a success. So I would say, to answer your question, um, in the beginning of, of starting a new venture is when I started using this thought process. Okay. And you had already had a fair number of classes about entrepreneurship and starting organizations and and you had been very interested in that for a while and had done a lot of your own study and legwork in terms of thinking about that so why did you layer vreal on top of that yeah so as, as you pointed out i had a lot of entrepreneurship types of classes spent a lot of time it's probably two plus years kind of investigating and, and diving into to the startup world, listening to all these, these new podcasts on lean entrepreneurship and lean business model canvas and, and all these different sides from you know Steve Blank and Y Combinator and Blitzscaling from all these different guys. So using that process, it, it's great. I think that every person starting a startup should kind of follow those lean methodologies. Why I turned to, to using VRIL and, and decided to layer it on top is because a lot of the times I would read the, these books and try to pick out from these different podcasts and, and other resources how I could apply it to my own venture. And a lot of them were, were very vague. A lot of them had a, had a lot of room to maneuver as to what you could do and when you should do it. And was this the right business model to do it? Did I have the right idea to implement these sorts of ideas? And so me, I've, I come from a very, my brain thinks very scientifically about a venture. What can I test? You know, what are the things that I am trying to, what is my hypothesis, how can I find out the best answer? So that being said, the V-Real process was a way for me to kind of look at a venture from those five standpoints that, that we'll probably launch into in a little bit, as to keep in the back of my mind what are some, some core things that I can focus on. I think another reason that I layered it on top is that there's just so much information out there. And, and when you're an entrepreneur, you're trying to learn as much as you can as quickly as possible. And you need to learn all kinds of different things. And so that being said, when you're one person, you have limited time, you need to focus your time on the things that matter the most. And the V-Real process led me or allowed me, in my opinion, to kind of identify those core things which I need to focus on. Okay. And so let's go into a little detail here about your new venture 
and what it is you're trying to do and then how you applied the V-Real framework to that new venture in terms of doing exactly what you said, helping you prioritize and know what you should be doing next. Yeah, so my new venture, we've built, a, me and my, my co-founder, Patrick, we, we've built a, a platform that facilitates virtual international um, exchanges. And so to give you a little bit more background, there's, there's a movement in the education space called Collaborative Online International Learning. And these are professors from all around the world, K through 12 and university, trying to connect their students together to one, most prominently, to, to learn a language. And, and other ones are for business reasons, math, all kinds of different disciplines. And so what we realized about this process was how difficult it was for teachers to go through this, to find other teachers that want to participate to the different tools that they have to choose, to getting their students signed on these different tools, and and having everything sent to a central location. And and so, just just to clarify there for the for the listeners, you're talking about like connecting a classroom of students here in the United States who are trying to learn French to a student in France or a classroom of students in France who are trying to learn English, right? Absolutely, yes. Trying to connect. Um, schools in, in Mexico who are trying to learn English to, you know, schools here in the United States who are trying to learn learn Spanish. All, all those, those different ones we're focusing on language teachers right now. So yes, I- exactly. Okay. So sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to clarify that. Tell us no, more. No, I, no, I, thank you. So that, that being said, I think the, the first thing that we need to identify is, okay, so what are the pain points here and what can we build that brings this customer base value. And so I think one of the things that the VRL process, the first step, obviously value, is is identifying what, because I know what value is to me, but what is value to the customer? And so I think that's step one when we were building out anything is how can we bring value and, and what does that look like? And are these main problems? Are we focusing on the right ones? And is this something that later down the line either teachers will pay for or someone else? That That's kind of the true test of, of bringing value in my opinion and you did use actually i think you mentioned to me in the past that you mentioned using like the customer development process that steve blank has has written extensively about to help you understand what kind of value you could bring is that correct absolutely yes trying to to build out this you know as as he used in his literature this product market fit and so yeah that that means step one identifying kind of who our customer base would be Step two, identifying what are some of the pain points that those customers are going through, and then identifying on you know how how big are these these pain points, and then step three, building something that a lot of customers like in that in that niche and that solves the problems, and then moving on to the next step of trying to find you know business model fit. But yes, that being said, this the Steve Blank kind of lean business model canvas thought process, along with the, the V Real. Okay, this is step number one value. And so I, I think now that we're talking about it, this is another thing that, that allowed my brain to kind of latch onto this a little bit better was there's multiple steps and, and multiple ways of approaching starting a business. And so the first one, like you just identified value, just focus on that. How can you bring customers value? That, that just should be the logical starting point of any business. Right. And, and then the next step, you talking about rareness? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Let's talk about rareness. That's a tough one, especially. 
especially, well, at least for me, I, I think is a, is a, you know, a young entrepreneur starting off trying to do his own venture out of college. Um, your skill set's kind of limited to the resources around you. You kind of have to go out and, and hustle and try to try to find all those. You, you're not as well networked, don't have skills sets like maybe other people older than you do. So the rareness aspect of the business has definitely been something that I think we need to focus on more. But when I think about rareness from the V-Roll standpoint, what's helped me is, like I just said, it, it allows me to figure out how vulnerable we really are. When it comes to, to building software, it's, it's difficult to get patents and other things, which I think plays into the rareness factor. But when, when I think of rareness, one, I think of bringing value to a customer. Two, after you've identified maybe some steps to bring value to that customer. Who, who else is doing anything like this out there? Who else can emulate you as quickly as possible? Who else can, can get in and, and into this space immediately after you launch something that, that you find is, is successful? And so that's, that rareness aspect has allowed me to identify internally and externally what are some things that maybe we possess as an organization of, of two guys at the moment that these other people don't? And so getting more into the rareness, if, if you don't mind. Yeah, uh, go ahead. I think go ahead. One of the things that we identified the most was, and this is trying to, to increase our rareness, was, hey, I'm, I'm a business background kind of guy that likes to do marketing. Patrick is, is a developer. We're trying to build a product for the language learning space or for trying to connect these teachers around the world that want to do these collaborative projects. We don't have an academic background. So that that doesn't make us, you know, very rare at all. So that's one of the our strategic decisions was to surround ourselves by those educators, to learn more about them, to immerse ourselves um, in the environments that they were in and, and nitpick them and, and get with them all the time so that we could you know, improve kind of our rareness, which I would think is, is learning at the moment, learning about these, these different professors, learning about this different niche that maybe other companies uh, wouldn't spend time doing. That makes sense. And I know that we had some conversations very early on about how you could develop that rareness through relationships. And, yes. and I have to tell the listeners on the podcast that I've been impressed with the way that you have been able to build relationships. Oh, no, I appreciate it. Yeah, it's, we, we spent a lot of time. Like you said, we, we've talked about this quite a bit, and we've identified that as our, our number one thing, is, is to build out these relationships and get to know our customers a lot more and, and do learn as quickly as possible about them and, and their needs. And so, yeah, it's been a big focus point for us. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate that. And then going on beyond that into erosion and enabling and all, how has have those concepts helped you? The, and I, I want to point out another thing that I, I don't think I've mentioned yet. Um, the eroding and the enabling factors, and we'll, we'll get into the longevity and stuff. I think what, what helps my brain a lot as well is the positive and the negative aspects of those, those two. So when you ask me, some of the eroding factors. I can rattle off, okay, my co-founder, we could somehow get into some argument or he doesn't want to work on this anymore. Um, Some of our relationships fall through, our product doesn't do what it's supposed to, and people aren't pleased with what we're doing, and and those those can fall away. But I, I think that being said, after going through that process, 
my brain automatically goes, okay, after I've identified all these eroding things, you know, money, resources, manpower, relationships, okay, I put them all down. I know what, what could be eroding. Now, how can I mitigate that? How, how can I find a way to, okay, if I know I'm, you know, money is an issue, what sorts of things do I need to put in place for the platform in order to raise money, right, if that's what we need? Oh, well, we need to produce a product that customers like. Okay, that goes back to value. Okay, we think we, we got that. Well, we need to, you know, take care of our relationships. Boom, that, that goes back to the rareness. So we, we build a product that our customers want. We tell them the truth. We supply them with something that, that works. It could be a little bit buggy, but we work with them. We don't try to over oversell and, and under-deliver. And then that will help us kind of, once we have a product out there and people working on it, that's going to help us raise some money, which is going to improve this eroding factor of monetary resource. So I think going through that process, the up-down process on each one of these, the five, has definitely helped my brain kind of, ooh, what strategy do I need to put in place in order to, you know, identify first and then mitigate second. Right. And I, and I also hope that it has helped you prioritize things as well, correct? Yes. As, as I mentioned before, with, with an overflow of information, you know, being inundated by information every single day, especially in the day and age we live in, and in limited time, I need to, to prioritize, and this definitely has helped me do that. One of the things that I also want people to do in the VRO framework is to step through in a second pass through the VRO framework and think about the areas where they may be developing distinctive incompetencies. Have you found that to be something that, you know, is, is helpful and is also moving you forward by understanding where you may have incompetency in relationship to what you're trying to do? Yeah, absolutely. I think any time that, that you're a CEO or you're in charge of, of dealing with strategy, you obviously have a, have a lot on your plate. And, and one of the things that I've definitely noticed with me, and, and I think the bureau process has helped me kind of come back to center on this, is when you do have a million things that are going on at once, and you're thinking about, oh, okay, you know, let me step through the process. What do I have uh, that's bring value with my rareness, with my eroding factors, enabling longevity, blah, blah, blah. They, you know, they help you prioritize that way. But I think going back through it the second time, like you just mentioned, helps me kind of, it's almost like, all right, take a break from all the internal and external things that you need to think about and and focus on this one thing. Like, what are some enabling factors that, you know, are, are limiting you or that, what you just mentioned going back through it? So I would say absolutely, just from a pure take a break and understand internally and externally where your business is at because you can get too caught up in trying to just run and gun every single day move and, and try to do deals and so yes I, I think it's it's good to sit down and go back through everything like you just mentioned it helps kind of prioritize okay so in the longevity aspect what are you feeling and thinking these days about longevity regarding your venture that's a tough one so you know i don't know if i've ever told you this and i'm not um saying this just to to please you in, in any way i'm just kind of realizing this the fact that longevity is, is last makes a lot of sense to me. Because as you go through the other ones, it, it's kind of the last question. Okay, based off everything that you just come up with, uh, that you're trying to prioritize, do you think if all those things went right, if you think if you mitigate all those different risks, 
that you, your company could become sustainable. It could have longevity in the long run, like it could move on. And so right now where we're sitting, definitely still a startup, definitely figuring out stuff, definitely trying to learn as much as possible to create a sustainable business for the long term. And so focusing on longevity is definitely taking those different aspects that we talked about, the value, the rareness, eroding, and enabling factors, and, and figuring out how we can sustain growth and, and sustain and mitigate all of those, those different ones going forward. So I want to give you the opportunity now to tell the people listening out there in the podcast world a little bit more about your company. Yeah, we've already kind of described what you're going to do, but if they are interested in knowing more, if they are interested in contacting you, give us that information about your company. Yeah, absolutely. So we're, we're a platform, like I, like I mentioned, that's facilitating these online um, cultural exchanges from around the world, connecting teachers in the United States, teachers all around. We're focusing primarily on language teachers at the moment. So if any language teachers are out there, any teachers that are doing these telecollaborative exchanges or these virtual exchanges, as they're also called, they can find us at www.classtoclass.com. And that's class to class with a two in the middle, not a T-O. And there they can find a little bit more information on our platform. And if they would like to go through a demo walkthrough, I'd be happy to show them kind of more of what we're working on. But yeah, we're, we're very excited about what we're doing. We, we just got a partnership with the language flagship program in the United States and connecting some teachers in, in Maryland and at other universities to teachers in China and in Kazakhstan. So we're excited about what we're doing. And if any teachers have want to reach out to me, they can find me there or email me at matt at class2class.com. Okay. And again, I, I just want to spell it out for people. Class to class is C-L-A-S-S two, the number two, and then C-L-A-S-S, class2class.com. You got it. Absolutely. Okay. And once again, your email address was matt, M-A-T-T, at class2class.com. You got it. Okay. So I also always want to give my podcast guests the opportunity to ask me any questions or make any comments that you know I haven't touched on or brought up. So do you have anything that you'd like to talk about or ask me questions that we haven't touched on yet? Yeah, actually, now that I'm going through it, kind of talking to you more about it, I know we've, we've talked about it quite a bit, but the longevity part is, can, can we talk about that, that part a little bit more? Sure. So the longevity part, kind of I tried to mention it a little bit earlier, was kind of putting all those those other factors and the other four factors into play and seeing how to build a sustainable business. How how what is your your definition that you're using for for longevity and what are some things that you think we could think about when when thinking about that? Okay. You are right. Longevity is at the end because that's where it should be. Yeah. Once you consider in a positive aspect, your value creation and the rareness of that, if you have true distinctive competencies in the market, understand eroding enabling factors, and go back through uh, on a second pass and think about the potential for a value destruction and how rare that is, whether or not you have distinctive incompetencies in the market, and then how you could erode away incompetencies and, and enable that erosion. You know, having put all of that together in your head, it is then a very easy next step to say, 
well, how long do we have to actually succeed in the marketplace? Or how long, and this is something you, you didn't say, how long would it take to get to the point where we could succeed in the marketplace? And that's a, that's a very interesting set of questions there because you know that's a, a point, and by the way, I do not think you are at that point, <laughs> but that's a point where you might actually say, I shouldn't do this. I don't have enough time to actually succeed in the marketplace. I don't have enough time to get to where I would need to be to be able to succeed in the marketplace. So that longevity issue is both, you know, how long are present conditions going to be in place and how long would it take to get somewhere that I need to be? And I would a even add a third aspect of longevity of asking a question of what could I do to then make that longevity stretch out further and further? Or if I'm talking about incompetencies, how could I shorten the longevity of that incompetency in my organization? Yeah, I didn't even think about how can I shorten the incompetency. I like that as far as the longevity process goes. And, and the longevity in order to get to you know, a sustainable business model, is that what you're, you're talking about? Yeah. So there's, you know, there are at least three different things to think about in regard to longevity. How long do I have present conditions? How long would it take me to get to the point that I want to be? Or how quickly could I remove some things that I need to remove? And I think uh, by you just going through that, it brings up kind of another point. I've been looking at this methodology as or this way of going about it, uh, you know, purely from a strategy standpoint. It's something that I run through kind of in my brain um, using these different, because they're easy to remember, and they're easy to kind of, for me to play around with, and that's another reason why I like using it, is it's just easy to immediately kind of, oh, value, you know, rareness, eroding, enabling, longevity. But that being said, is this something that maybe I should in the future, you would encourage, you know, writing down, and, and going over like once a month or something, or is there a time period, or how do you, how do you view this? Well, to be very blunt, V-Real is just always running in my head, but that's me. <laughs> I think of it as a as kind of a way of thinking. And so, well, yes, absolutely should you write some things down so that you can come back to them and, and think about them. You know, we have in the book, Think Beyond Value, Building Strategy to Win, we have some tools, some matrices that you can uh, put information in to help you prioritize in regard to eroding factors and enabling factors and also, yeah, uh, write some things down, use this as a, as a means to sort of record where you are at a given point in time. But this is something that really kind of just runs in my head. When you are talking to me about your new venture, that's running in my head. When somebody is talking to me about their career, that's running in my head. And even in my own endeavors, that's always sort of running in my head in the background. Yeah, no, that, that makes that makes sense. It, it almost acts as like a, a filter. Kind of what, what we talked about earlier with Steve Blank and kind of that startup methodology it's that those kinds of things, you know, V-Real, 
in that are two things that I find very easy to just, there's, it's a filter. You know, if someone has an idea that they come to me with, it's like, okay, what are the assumptions? What can we test? Who is the market? How do, what is the customer view is, is, is value and how can we test that as quickly as possible and as cheaply as possible? And second, you know, what are, what are some of the rare factors that, that you have that no one else does? What are some things that can erode immediately? Some things that can enable your, your venture to, to get off the ground or that you have that other people don't? And how can we create, you know, what everyone wants to who creates a business, a sustainable business with a sustainable business model? So it makes sense that that kind of morphs into a filter because of how easy it just can be brought up and, and kept there. So that's fascinating. I'm going to need to use some of the matrices and stuff to go over it and kind of flesh this out more because I think that would definitely benefit us to get it on paper and to see it. will definitely improve kind of our strategy. Any Anything else that you want to talk about? Yeah, I... You know, kind of mentioning it when, when we were talking about it, some of the rareness aspects. And I know it's, I could be wrong on this aspect, but what I've been told is building software, it's very difficult to get some of these patents and, and to create rareness in this regard. So when, when it comes to the software industry, when it comes to particularly, if, if you don't mind, and, and you know enough about the ed tech industry, which I think you do, what, what are some things that run through your mind whenever I mention what we're doing and you think about rareness. As we talked about very early on, and I, I mentioned already, I do think the intangible aspects of what you're doing are extremely important. Not the software so much itself. The software has to perform. Your platform has to do what you want it to do. But the fact that you are developing these very strong relationships with key educators in the field of language instruction, not just here in the United States but elsewhere, I think is a, is a very strong aspect of rareness about what you are trying to do. You are getting in the position of becoming really an expert about the use of online technology, about what works for educators, what works for students. Um, so your knowledge and those relationships, I think, are, are going to be really critical in terms of developing rareness in the long term. Perfect. Okay. Which I think this kind of brings me to a natural next question, because I know I'm always struggling with it, which is to double down on, on some of the things that, that you're doing right or to realize, okay, as you mentioned, it's the intangible stuff. So does this mean maybe I should focus a little bit more time on the platform, making it more distinguishing and more obviously I need a distinguished platform in the education space or no one's going to decide to use me. But do you, do you see what I'm saying? Like, should I double down on kind of my core competencies or should I work on something else? I almost find that is almost a personal question as well. When I'm doing work, it's like, okay, well, you know, I could pay someone to do this or I could just learn this skill you know, this new skill, how long is it going to take, you know, is it worth learning, do I double down on what I'm good at, relationships, going out and meeting with teachers, learning as much as I can, and communicating that to other people, and then hiring people to do these other things I'm not good at, or should I learn these different new skills, and so I would love, from your opinion, do you, do you kind of double down on that, or do you realize, hmm, I'm lacking in this, then therefore I should strategize for it? You're opening up the door to a discussion about applying VReal to you as an individual, which is a good door to open and a good discussion to have. And we probably don't have time on this podcast to go into great depth there. But 
but that's a really good question. You're beginning to to develop this awareness that maybe you need to think about yourself from a V-real perspective. You know, where do you create the most value, you, and what is rare about that? And then, of course, the eroding and abling and longevity of those things. And if you begin to realize that your strength in creating value lies in, let's say, in your case, developing the relationships and developing the the knowledge base that those relationships require, that that's where you really can create value and be rare, then you shouldn't give that away. You know, that becomes where you as an individual need to strategically position yourself. And doing something else is an eroding factor to that. So in terms of making a, you know, a decision about where to invest your time and your effort, I think you need to do some serious personal V-real thinking. Fascinating. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it just makes sense right now that, that it becomes more of a personal thing because, I mean, I know we use business as like, oh, well, I started a business. It's me and another person right now. <laughs> you know, it, it's, mm-hmm. and how well we are, how well we operate in, in this space and, and how well we get work done dictates how well the business does. So that's why I've, I've kind of been using it personally. I uh, didn't know that, that that was kind of its intention, but that's great to, to know that I can use that as well um, on, a, on a personal basis. And we'll probably talk more about that after the podcast. <laughs> okay, well, anything else here at the end? No, no, I, I think I appreciate you answering some of my questions and stuff. I'm always trying to, to learn and, and develop a little bit more. So this was good. I like the, the matrices thing that makes sense to me. I hadn't done it before, but excited to do it. And then the, the personal stuff, like you mentioned, it just with just a question, you know, just popped up in my brain, like, oh, I kind of do this from time to time, think about it. So, fascinating that maybe I could apply that in the future to some personal stuff. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I think, I think I'm good. I really appreciate it. Okay. Well, we're at the end of our podcast conversation, and I, I really do appreciate you taking time out of what is a very busy schedule right now. I, I know what is on your plate, and I know some of the opportunities that you have ahead of you are really taking a lot of your time and attention in a good way. So I appreciate very much taking time out of your schedule to have this conversation today. Oh, no. Thank you. It was it was a pleasure. You know, as, as a entrepreneur starting your own thing, you need all the help you can get. And, and you've definitely been there for me, helping me out. So I appreciate and, and I'm glad that I was able to, to be on the show. Okay, great. Well, take care, Matthew, and we'll talk to you later. All right. Sounds good. You too, Dr. Flynn. Okay. Bye. All right. Well, that was a good conversation with Matthew. And... It was, it was interesting to me from sta- several standpoints. I've been talking with him for a while, as was obvious in the conversation. But even though I've been talking with him a while, there were still some things today that were a little new. And that was, that was a bit of a surprise to me. You know, he's using the V-Rail framework, and he's using it in many ways the way 
you know, you designed it, right? So he, he certainly gets value and rareness and how critical those are to the potential for distinctive competencies. He understands that. And he certainly is, is using the notion of eroding factors and enabling factors and even longevity to think about his business. But he brought up some things that I think were really interesting, like you say, in, in pointing out that he's not fully maximizing the potential of V-Roll framework and helping inform his strategy. I think he realized that in his conversation with you today. I think you're right. You know, his questions about longevity, for instance, and the second pass through V-Roll for thinking about incompetencies, I think those are areas where he can still sort of expand upon his use of the V-Roll framework. Yeah. So one of the things that I want to make sure we point out as a key takeaway for the listeners out there, no matter kind of what your role is in an organization, is Matthew does a really good job of, of thinking strategically, right? He uses all kinds of tools that are out there, and he's constantly educating himself and trying to make sure that he's he's in a position to do the best job he can with this startup. And he, and he referred to some great tools, Steve Blank's tools, really awesome. But he also talked about how he used the V-Roll framework to kind of organize all of that. There's so much information out there, it can get overwhelming. And, and having the framework as a tool to help you really think through what you know about your business and about your industry and and check check make sure you know what you need to know in that internal and external analysis as you're looking at eroding factors or potential eroding factors and the enables you need to put in place so i I thought it was really good to hear that he was using the v-roll in that sense but it was also really good to hear him kind of have that realization that he can use the v-roll framework and in fact should use the v-roll framework to take a closer look at himself and what his real value is now he talked about the fact that it was really an eroding factor at first that he and his business partner they didn't really know the education sector they weren't really aware of the market he's turned that into a a key competency because he's decided to overcome that by really just diving in and getting to know his market getting to know his customers seeking to understand the pain points to the point now where that's that's potentially a really rare and valuable resource to the company as i mentioned in the podcast i really do think that he is developing the potential for strong distinctive competencies in terms of his knowledge and his relationships in regard to this online virtual education connecting of students from one side of the world to the other. Um, you know, it, you may not know this, people probably generally don't, but as he alluded to, there is a growing movement. And of course, it's only going to get larger of trying to connect students in very, very different places in the world. And he is in the position of kind of leading that charge potentially now. So yes, he has taken something that at the beginning was kind of a negative and through his own efforts and because that's where he is very good. He, he really is very good at developing relationships, at asking questions, at, at digging in and learning. He's developed a really strong potential for a distinctive competency in himself that, of course, then he brings into the company. So a couple things out of that that, that kind of come to mind. One, do you think it's it's common or at least a common potential when going through the V-Roll framework that you might identify something that is an eroding factor, but that can turn around and become something really valuable to you? Oh, sure. That can happen. In the process of trying to remove an eroding factor, you may wind up creating something that you never knew 
was a was a possibility. You know, this is just a a good example of that. But is it is it rare that that happens? I don't know that that's that's rare. I think generally when people are in the process of learning and thinking, all kinds of possibilities can arise that they never knew were out there. You know, on the the other side of that question is looking at VRIL as a tool for sort of in- introspection and looking at the individual potential value creation, especially for a CEO or a co-CEO maybe in this case, but CEOs and startup organization and even in small businesses that are maybe looking to go to the next level, they really do need to look at themselves through this lens. There's real value in looking at themselves and and understanding what it is that they bring to the organization that's valuable and rare and using that insight that they can gain to help them make decisions about where they should focus their time and, and maybe where they should bring in resources to do other things. So it's exactly the insight that Matthew took away today. Mm-hmm. I think so. He also made a good point about maybe writing some things down from time to time. <laughs> he did. And, and, you know, we've got those resources in in Think Beyond Value, Building Strategy to Win. We talk a lot about the matrices. So we have an erosion matrix and we have an enablers matrix. And, and we focus on using those tools to prioritize your actions. And Matthew, interestingly enough, he automatically did these things in his head. Mm-hmm. As you talk to him and he kind of really internalized the V-roll framework, he was doing these things in his head. And I was a little surprised to hear that he wasn't writing them down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we definitely encourage that in the, in the book. You, you've provided the tools and we encourage people to write these things down so they can reflect on it and, and share it, communicate it with a team, take advantage of the power of those tools to really get you from a, a broader idea or a long list of potential things to address down to a really prioritized and focused action list. Mm-hmm. And in all fairness, he hasn't had the book in front of him. <laughs> Of course not. I mean, the, the book hasn't been made available to him. I'm actually really impressed with how well he uses the framework without writing things down. And my guess is he maybe does write a few things down, but maybe not quite as systematically as he will after today. <laughs> One other thing that I want to say, and, and you mentioned this in, in passing earlier just a couple minutes ago. You know, he mentioned using... Um, Steve Blank's methodologies and the Lean Startup framework and so forth. Once again, I, I do want people to understand that VReal is complementary and enhancing and augmenting um, many other tools that are out there for entrepreneurs or strategic managers in organizations. You know, it's it's not meant to replace. It's meant to make things better. Exactly. And it's, it's meant to maybe simplify a little bit and organize the all of that information you have out there. And so to use Matthew's term, it's just easy. So maybe make it a little easier. So to learn more about all of that and to gain more insight, you can you can read the book, Think Beyond Value, Building Strategy to Win by Dr. David Flint. It's available at major retailers. You can go to Amazon, you can Barnes and Noble, other major your favorite book retailer will have it online or in store. And you can order it at drdavidflint.com if you'd like to do that. Uh, You can also keep up with the latest insights from Dr. Flint here by following him on Facebook, Dr. David Flint, and on Twitter, Dr. David Flint. And just keep up with what we've going on. And, of course, keep listening to our podcast. Okay. Well, once again, I think we have successfully had another good conversation with a strategic thinker. Absolutely. All right, so for those of you listening out there, until the next time, keep thinking.